Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I really thought about putting this on behind the television so you wouldn't see me struggle with it. But when I say that, it came off relatively easy this morning, perhaps. There we go. Again, good morning, Leslie Avenue. Good morning. It's good to see everybody again. It's good to have those of you who are watching live online uh, with us this morning and those watching live later. I guess that's not live, but watching us at any point. We're also very happy that uh, you'll be viewing this out at uh, Knowles. Uh, we appreciate you being part of our family now, and we look forward each Sunday to going out and sharing our worship time with you. So thank you for being there, and God bless each and every one of you. We're continuing our study this morning on the coat of many colors, hence the uh, outlandish-looking cover that I have on here. And we've been doing that now for a couple of weeks. So as a review, Jacob gave his son Joseph a coat of many colors. And so what we want to do is pretend that the reason the coat had many colors was perhaps Jacob was trying to teach his son Joseph a lesson by each color. The Bible doesn't tell us that, so it is certainly a pretend. But the coat caused all sorts of troubles, envy and jealousy among the brothers who already were very much uh, irritated with Joseph because he was the favorite of Jacob, the child of his older age. And so what I want to do is to think about the coat of many colors, different colors in the coat, and see what meaning we can take at least from the colors in the coat, assuming that uh, as a pretend way that maybe Joseph did the same. The first week we looked at the green color, and you can see the green color in the coat. And what we focused on was green being the color of growth. Now it seems a little bit more like spring than it did a few weeks ago when we first talked about that. And so whenever we see green out in the world, whether it's clothing or whether it's hopefully trees with lots of green leaves, I want us to think about growth and the message for us would be how can we grow closer to God? And the only way really to do that is to be close to God, to study his word, to read, to become a better person that God wants us to be and by speaking to God in prayer. So the first color of green, I want us to focus on study, growing closer to God. Last week, we talked about yellow. And one of the things that's certainly yellow, you can see it even this morning, of course, the stained glass window helps a little bit with that since the stained glass is yellow. It's typically when children even are drawing with crayons, a picture of the outside and they put the sun there, they use yellow for sunlight. And so we were thinking of light with regard to yellow. And that point for us to focus on is the fact that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, if we are not walking in the light, then we lie. And so when you see the color yellow, I would like to ask you to focus on God is light and drawing closer to God with the way we live and the way we act day to day. So green, growth, Yellow, light, and being walking the way God wants us to walk and live the way he wants us to live. And so let's look at the next color for today. By the way, you see my little jive there at the homework that we had assigned last week. Hopefully we read John, 1 John chapter 1 last week. If not, I'll give you a pass one more week to read 1 John chapter 1. It's, it's not very long. So what color are we going to look at this morning? I want us to focus on blue. You can see the coat does have blue in it as well. So let's focus on blue. Blue represents both the sky and the sea 
Typically, if you get enough water uh, in the ocean, you deep enough water, it'll look bluish. And certainly the sky looks more of a Carolina blue than anything else. Certainly not the color blue that's in this. But generally speaking, the color blue is, represents open spaces, freedom, because you're thinking of being outside in the wide open spaces, imagination and inspiration. There's a lot of qualities that blue can bring to mind in people. The color blue seems to have positive effects on both the mind and the body. It also is an appetite suppressant. Maybe that's why I've never been inside a restaurant that was painted blue. That would seem to be a bit counterproductive. But as to the Bible, what I want us to think about today for blue, blue was one of the primary colors, which I freely admit I had missed my whole life. It's one of the primary colors in and around the Jewish temple and the precursor to the Jewish temple, the tabernacle. Again, the fancy word for the tent where God was worshiped and the focal point for God, like the temple became before the temple was built. Blue is one of the primary colors associated with the tabernacle and the temple. So look with me a little bit at what the temple had in it that was blue. Over the temple hung blue curtains. The veil in the temple that when Jesus uh, died was torn from the top to the bottom was blue and purple. On the altar there was laid a blue covering of dyed badger's skin. I personally don't know what badger skin would look like. You'd have to tell me if it was badger skin, but it was dyed blue. And so we're going to look at Numbers 4, 6 through 12. There's going to be a lot of words on the screen, but we'll read it through slowly. Why is blue associated with the temple? Well, first of all, blue color today, I mean, uh, Jimmy's got a nice blue shirt on, and several of you do. I've got a blue shirt on. Blue is really not that hard to get today. It was incredibly hard to get the blue color back in ancient times because it was a, it was a very much blue and purple blue was a, a very difficult color to get. Lydia and Axe was a seller of purple, and that purple was purple and blue were fairly close. You can even see they're pretty close even on the coat. So it was something hard to get. It was costly, and I think that's one of the reasons it was used as a decoration color in the tabernacle or in the temple. So look with me at Numbers 4. Again, I told you it's going to be a lot of words. So here's what we read here talking about how the tabernacle was going to be decorated. Then they shall put on it a covering of goat skin and spread on top of that a color, a cloth of all blue and shall put, it, put in its holes. And over the table of the bread of the presence they shall spread a cloth of blue and put on it the plates, the dishes for the incense, the bowls, and the flagons for the drink offering. The regular showbread also shall be on it. Then they shall spread over them a cloth of scarlet and cover the same with a covering of goatskin and shall put in its poles. And they shall take a cloth of blue and cover the lampstand for the light with its lamps, its tongs, its trays, and all the vessels for oil with which it is supplied. And they shall put it with all its utensils and a covering of goatskin and put it on the carrying frame. Now over the golden altar they shall spread a cloth of blue and cover it with a covering of goatskin and shall put in its poles. And they shall take out, take all the vessels of the service that are used in the sanctuary and put them in a cloth of blue and cover them with a covering of goatskin and shall put them on the carrying frame. Reading some of the directives that are given for creating and building and maintaining the tabernacle, 
uh, is to us is, is a lot of extra things that we just don't interact with day to day. Uh, certainly goat skin and things like that. But did you notice, look how, I, I mean, how many times is it in there, right? It's about like five or six times a covering or a cloth of blue. Blue is a primary color in the tabernacle and it remains so in the temple. So what do we make of that? As I say, blue was difficult to acquire, it was expensive, and I suspect, I really want to strongly even suggest, blue would indicate the nature of worship. Worship involves sacrifice. To use the color blue would require an expense, would be something difficult, and God said, when you are coming to worship me, you're going to sacrifice things in order to come into my presence. We sacrifice and we offer our best to God. And that's what I want to focus on today as we look at worship. Blue as a color to remind us of the worship of God. So what do we read about worship in the Bible? Look for a couple of minutes this morning with some passages about worship and see what do I take away from a focus on worship in God. I think Jay, we're leading several songs, focus on worship here this morning. Psalm 95, 6-7 O come, let us worship and bow down Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker For He is our God And we are the people of His pasture The sheep of His hand I seem to remember singing a song from those verses in the past Worship is not something we do for ourselves Some people have this idea that Well, I need to come to worship so I can feel better It's not a self-help session Inasmuch as we come here to pour ourselves out to God as an offering. Our lives, our praise, our focus is on God. Not so much on what can God do for Jeannie today. If I come in to worship with that idea, then I'm approaching the worship of God from the wrong direction. I certainly hope that when I come and I offer my life to God and I pledge to become a better person, the kind of qualities that God wants in me, I will seek to develop. I should feel better because I will know that I am on the right path, focusing my life toward God. The only kind of worshipers God has any use for are those who worship Him from the heart. And here's one of the important statements I want to make this morning. If God doesn't have your heart, then He doesn't. Nothing else you do matters. Nothing. You can pray and you can sing and you can shout out and you can read. But if your heart's not with God, to an extent, wasting your time. God needs the heart first. And so when we offer our hearts to God, that is the real expression of worship because we give ourselves to God. Look at John 4. Jesus here speaking to the woman at the well of Samaria, the Samaritan woman. He says to her, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Since God is spirit, God is not a man. Since God is spirit, our gifts to God must be gifts of the spirit. Now, we're going to collect an offering because... We're told in the New Testament to lay things aside so that there's no urgent gathering when a congregation has a need. That's not the focus of worship. 
The focus of worship is the heart. The focus of worship is giving things to God from the inside. And if we're doing that, the outside, right? We're not going to be saying, ah, I gotta hold on to that. I'm not putting that up. The giving in terms of the collection is going to follow from it. It's going to follow from it. It needs to be gifts of the spirit. Uh, animal sacrifices and material things and things like that really are inadequate. If they're done at all, and this is the way it was in the Old Testament, they should simply be reflecting the heart following after God. The only gifts that befit, that would be proper for the nature of God, are the gifts of the Spirit. Love, loyalty, obedience, and devotion. Look again at the passage from John 4 up at the top. The hour is coming when true worshipers, if there are true worshipers, there have got to be other people who perhaps are going through the motion. People who are singing this morning, people who may be in, in an area where prayer is occurring this morning, but whose hearts are not actually given to God. They're focused on anything else other than God. True worshipers will worship God in spirit and truth. And there unfortunately are some that may worship God not in truth, not be true worshipers. Worship wasn't just something people did once or twice a week with other people. Here, we're gathered together this morning, which is a great thing. But worship is not simply limited to the times we are in this physical building here. Look at Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, sometimes translated reasonable service. Did you notice this? Our bodies are going to be given to God as a living sacrifice. Under the old covenant, in the Old Testament, the sacrifices were dead. They had been killed and placed on an altar and burned. God wants our sacrifice while we are still alive. He wants us to say, I've been living my life for myself. I want to live my life for God. And so whatever age you may be, right? Whether it's 10, whether it's 50, whether it's a little higher than 50, right? God wants our lives to be given to him. And you start with the heart. If we give our heart to God, then the rest of us is not going to be all that difficult to give to God. If our worship is to be the worship that the Bible wants, and the Bible's our only guide to anything about God. If it's not found in the Bible, if it's not something we get from reading the Bible, then it's just an invention somebody came up with. If our worship is to be the kind of worship God wants from what we read in the Bible, it has to be a way of life. You can't live one way Saturday evening and come in trying to be all pious and holy on Sunday morning. The willing and daily sacrifice to God of everything we are. Everything. God wants it all. Everything we have. Everything we do. Our worship that's demanded, the worship that's demanded of us is a lot, in many ways, harder than the worship that was demanded in the Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, the focus was on making sure at the appropriate time you had the appropriate sacrifice and that you were doing these external things. Here, 
worship, so much of it focuses on the inside out. And that's a hardly difficult thing to do because it means there's no time to relax, as it were. You know, there's no, there's no time to think, this is a worship time when I'm going to the building. I'll think about God and oh, Sunday night, I can relax. It's, it's all day, every day, because God wants us to be pointing in the direction of Him and not pointing in the direction of the way we used to live. Look at Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after. What? David, what have you asked for the Lord? What one thing do you want to seek, search for and seek after? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek in his temple. Note the phrase, that I will seek after. To be a person, person who is a true worshiper of God requires a substantial commitment. It requires a decision that I'm not going to live the way I have been living. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to seek after God. I'm going to focus on changing the way I have been to the way God wants me to be. You can't do that in some half-hearted way. You know, you ever seen sometimes, there'll be a video or something that shows up on the internet or the, the news and people are misbehaving and then they notice the camera's running. Like, oh, right? Life can't be like that when we're living for God. The camera's always running. You can't hide from God and God wants us to be aimed toward him, our lives turned in his direction. That's that fancy church word, as it were, repent. We may hear that, but it's a, it's a military term. It's an about face. You know, I, I remember, some, some of you here my age, remember the TV show Gomer Pyle? Right? He was always in trouble, and his sergeant was always screaming at him. But I remember there were times where he, if you don't know what that is, I'll, I'll send you a link on YouTube or something. I mean, it's, it's a long time ago now. But they would be marching in line, and I remember the sergeant would call out about face, and Gomer would keep going. You know, no, 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 no. When we are called to have about face, when we are called to repent, you should turn around. At least the aim of our life has to be for God. We'll make mistakes. I totally understand that. But we have to be aiming for God. We can't keep walking the way we used to walk. David provides a model for what this looks like. I really like this in Psalm 34, one, uh, verses 1 through 3. We're going to get four things in these three verses. Look at it with me. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Look at four things as we get to a close here this morning. We will worship God willingly. Notice he says, I will bless the Lord. It requires a choice. It requires a decision. It requires initiative. I am going to do this. It's not something that just happens to you, right? Worship is a free will offering, something we each have to choose and decide, am I going to give to God or am I not going to give to God? We will worship God continually, all the time. Look at what David said. I will bless the Lord, right? That was the first part, at all times. If the only time you bless the Lord, if the only time you're going to focus on God is right here, then we need to go back to the green. 
and we need to focus on growing. And we need to go back to the yellow and focus on walking in the light because blue ought to suggest in terms of worshiping God that we are focused on God 24-7. In the third place, we worship God personally. It's a personal offering to God. My soul, my life, my all makes its boast in the Lord. I will say that I am so happy to be a member of God's family. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. It's personal. It's from within each of us. And then in the fourth place, we worship God together. That's what we're doing here this morning. It's an individual act, and there are times during the week where we get together to encourage one another and to collectively cry out to God to have mercy on us but we are all sinners. Look what he says. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. David's been doing it. He's going to do it. All of us should be doing it. All of us should continue to do it individually. But when we come together, we should magnify the Lord together, collectively. And let us exalt his name together. If that does not describe you this morning, needs to. It needs to. Is my life still going and marching in the direction I was before? Did I miss hearing the about face call? Don't be a gober pile. Am I still marching away from God when God's been crying, repent, turn back. That way does not lead to happiness. It leads to destruction. If I'm still walking that direction, Please, please don't leave here this morning without doing an about face, without turning your life around and saying, I will bless the Lord. How do I do that? You do that first of all by understanding that all of us are sinners. We have all made choices to do what we wanted to do that we knew were wrong in advance. Somewhere between the three-year-old Getting a cookie, even after mom said, don't get a cookie. And when we're 20 or 30 years old, we understand this is not right. And we make choices anyway. We are sinners. Members of God's family are forgiven sinners. A big difference. How do I become a member of God's family? Understanding I'm a sinner. I should understand Jesus came and lived an innocent life. I appreciated that language this morning. He lived an innocent life and he died for my mistakes, for my sins. He took my place. It should have been me, as it were, on that cross. He said, I'll do it. And he took my place. He took your place. And through his choice, he has the offering to make available to everyone to forgive all of our sins we believe and understand who he is, what he did, and then what's the requirement of To turn around, to do that about face, to repent. And then so often in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament, those who understand their sinful condition are told not only to repent, but to be baptized, to be immersed, to die yourself as you get lowered into some water and be raised up where God has forgiven your sins. Jesus died and he rose again. We do the same thing, as it were. Die in our old way of living when we get immersed and put under that water. And when we are raised up, 
we are a brand new person for today. If you're already a member of God's family, but you've still been walking even after the about face was given, the way you come back to God, if you've already done all that in the first place, is you come and you pray and you ask God to forgive. He's, he's very, very quick to forgive. If there's any way we can help any of you this morning, don't leave here without coming to the recognition that God wants your life lived for him. Things to consider as we stand and sing.